Welcome to the Nowhere In, the fake place where we do a fake making of of the failure of a fake podcast hosted by three guys that combine the greatest art forms known to humanity, beer and movies. Sometimes achieving outstanding pairings, other times giving ourselves the opportunity to wash uh, the taste of meta out of our mouths. Uh, <laughs> I, I see what you're going for here with this introduction. Uh, you know, I... I I'm, I sadly didn't commit. I, I got I got very. I, I felt I, our pre recording. Did they commit? Our pre, Did they commit? Our All pre right. uh, our pre convo build up that I had this idea for the intro actually frightened me as it was happening, and I was like, no, I built it up too high. Uh, but yeah, this is beer in a movie, everybody. An, a very real, as it turns out, podcast. Um, yeah, hosted yeah. by three very real people. I'm Carlos Cooper. With me as always, Joe Hilliard and Dave Gurney. Yeah, we're gonna. We're gonna get past my half-assed, uh, well, I non-committal intro. Your, I, I appreciate your attempt to uh, weave in some sort of meta commentary about the film this week or our first. I'm a film millennial. This week. I love meta. We love meta. Yeah, I, I like meta in its in its right place. Everything in its right place. I, this is making me very nervous for this episode. We fi- we find ourselves in the state of Texas, folks. Um, the the great state, the great home state of one Annie Clark, who we'll be talking about quite a bit in the first part of the episode. Who grew up on a farm making her famous pecan pie. Absolutely. Would you like some sweet tea? <laughs> okay. uh, so what better than a Texas beer with uh, from a brewery with a namesake that uh, is very close in uh, you know proximity to the moniker that Annie Clark chooses for herself. That's St. Vincent mm-hmm. that she performs under. We've mentioned her on the podcast before. Uh, folks may remember her as the inspiration for our opening night episode or doing Cassavetes. Yes. Was, her uh, her feeling influenced by that. Anyway, I'm out on a on a limb here. The point I want to make is St. Vincent. We have a brewery here in Texas that we love. Has been on the podcast before, but hey, they got a little new beer on the shelf, so why not check it out? This is St. Arnold Brewing. They are out of Houston, and I think they're the oldest uh, singularly running craft brewery in Texas. I think you're and, right, and I think they're producing the most beer of the craft brewers. Even now, the, so. the Carbach hasn't eclipsed them with their well, in-depth Car- money. Carbach is not uh, not craft. craft okay, beer okay. Now that they are right. You're right. You're right. Um, <laughs> and when you're right, you're right. I'm, I'm going to give that to you. Uh, you're going to get 51% of your ownership to an InBev, in, AB InBev. We take and, you off yeah, the list. Yeah, we take you off the take list. Take you off the list. Well, St. Arnold is on the list, and they're brewing a lot of beer. They and are. one beer that they've recently brought to the market that I have not had the opportunity to try until just now is Harmony which uh, it also is described as blissfully hoppy. I don't know if that's part of the proper title of the beer, but Harmony is in big letters, so I'm going to go with Harmony. Under that, it says Hazy Pale Ale, so not an IPA. We're not up there. I saw the ABV here, six. Six So that's points. actually, they could oh, get away yeah. with calling this a hazy IPA if they really wanted to in terms of strength, but maybe they don't feel like it's quite there in the hop character. We'll find out. We shall. I see some is poured into Carlos's glass already. What do you think, just looks-wise? I know we've had some issues in the past with beers that uh, St. Arnold has billed as being hazy in nature. Indeed it's, hazy. Eh, yeah, it's murky. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's one slot below hazy on the haze meter. Yeah, it's almost that's almost a haze. You're close. <laughs> but a lighter color profile than you would you'll normally get with an IPA. So calling it a pale Ooh, ale, I love the sense. nose on yeah, it. It smells great. I've already taken a sip. I'll You're getting like melon, judgment. citrus. Ooh, 
That's yummy. I'm excited. The Nowhere Inn first appeared on this podcast at the beginning of 2020 when we did our most anticipated films of that year, pre-COVID. And then, as right. you all know, many noteworthy 2020 releases were delayed, 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 trying to find a spot key for position on some kind of streaming service since the theaters aren't opened. And it's finally available. Uh, it's a six ninety nine rental on Amazon Prime. And I know that you guys are huge St. Vincent fans. Mm. St. Vincent is the stage name of Annie Clark. We've said her name already. And Annie Clark, I guess, commissions or is, is creating a documentary. She gets her really good friend, Carrie Brownstein, who most people, I think, would probably know most from being the female half of Portlandia. That's where you've most likely seen her. She's also in, yeah, she's also in some sure, bands. Yeah. And has got a um, musical career in addition to that television career. But Carrie Brownstein plays herself. Annie Clark plays herself. And they're making a documentary about a tour that St. Vincent is on. The Mass Seduction Tour. And yeah. at the beginning of the movie we see that annie clark is presenting herself off stage as a very kind of boring person and begins trying to come up with ways to spruce up what this doc what could be in the documentary to be a little more exciting than playing scrabble which is what she prefers to maybe do when she's not on stage and yeah carrie suggests like oh i have like a dance party on the bus (laughs) and annie's like well we've never done that that but yeah it's a good idea Yeah, yeah so ideas of just creating some kind of something to put on the screen to make a documentary we also see at the beginning of the film that the documentary has failed it's almost like a look back at the making of a failed documentary so that's where we kind of know that we're going yeah it's a movie about the making of a failed fake documentary about kind of fake people Mm -hmm. like kind of fictitious people and not fake but fictitious certainly yeah and so but then from there it becomes more layered and layered and surreal and surreal as i guess the filmmakers are are kind of toying with the idea of the artifice of celebrity the artifice of of performance compared to real life and where what are the lines between what we're presenting as your real life, how far do we want to go in, in in hiring actors even to play your family just so that we're getting something more interesting on camera. But there's a surreal kind of kaleidoscopic delivery of a lot of different ideas, some great visuals, and then, of course, some real concert footage. It's probably not real, but concert no, yeah, real. No, those are, okay, concert footage. Concert that is the exact like yeah. um, set design. Yeah for that tour concert footage from that tour that mostly in the first act is I think we're trying to really show the divide between the St. Vincent persona Mm -hmm. and the Annie Clark persona which is you know not maybe as exciting as the uh, stage performance which changes from album to album the St. Vincent persona right uh, changes pretty drastically from album to album and it is interesting that this film was made um, based around the tour that it was because that was I think the most like overtly sexual and absolutely like hyper stylized. I mean, the self-titled album, she went, I think that was her first foray into really putting on like a character. For, yeah. yeah. No, like, I, she had this icy purple hair and yeah. this like ornate costuming and stuff. The cover itself is very ornate. And then, yeah, with mass seduction, she went full tilt, all latex yeah. garments. Yeah. 
slicked back hair, sloppy steaks. <laughs> <laughs> She's a real piece of shit. Yeah. No, it, you're, you're right. I mean, it, it, it was good. It's funny. And the film never really does anything to acknowledge that this is a particular album's version though there's most of the hints. songs are from oh absolutely if you're an any if you're a saint vincent fan you know it's the mass seduction tour because i think the only song that appears in the film in the live performance aspect that's not a mass seduction song is huey newton mm. which this is a very specific nitpick mm-hmm. to have but that song the back half of that song has one of the most like killer riffs and the tonal shift in that song is so drastic and incredible <laughs> and they cut the yeah. they cut that part out of the song and I was distraught <laughs> when that So happened. some choices made that, yeah. that uh, But it's you fine, it's a great song. Yeah. So it's interesting. It presents uh, I think oh, and also her and Carrie are writing the song together for the documentary. That is a and right, a through yeah, line the song in the they film. Come up with is called the Nowhere Inn, the which Nowhere is performed Inn. toward the toward very the end, end yeah. of the film. Yeah. Right, which they even talk about as sort of a contrivance that they're doing for the film, and yeah. then they end up going through with it. And, and they're and it's in a, a much fucking amazing song. It's a great song. It's I mean, she doesn't write bad song. songs. They don't write bad songs generally. So yeah. um, there was that one Slater Kinney album, but we won't hold it. <laughs> it the one that she produced. Yeah, actually. <laughs> sadly. Oh, yeah, so I I really, really wanted to love this film and I think was as prepared for it as I could be yeah. in, t- in terms of what to expect and stuff. I hate where this is going. But so there are, there are parts I like. The concert footage obviously is wonderful. I think some of the basic concept of playing around with the idea of like stage persona versus real self versus how can you even lock down your real self and how would you, you know, like the the identity issues and stuff that are around it. Interesting questions. It it is presented. Yeah. But it's, go ahead. To me, the problem is it never really comes together at any point to get me to care about. They always feel like they're playing some kind of versions of themselves. And I hate to say it, especially Carrie Brownstein, who I've liked in the past in her performances on Portlandia, mm-hmm. um, but those are confined to fairly small scale sketches. There's something that you're talking never... about her playing herself in Portlandia, yeah. okay? Well, or any character in Portlandia. Well, because I, just... I mean, because some of those characters, I mean, are like outlandish. Yeah, I mean, sure, most of them, absolutely. And and I'm just saying. So I've I've thought in the past that she's a pretty good actor just watching her performances on Portlandia that she could get away. I did not get that feeling here. To me, I never understood where her character was coming from for very long. Annie Clark did a much better job, I feel like, at shifting the gears she needed to to put on the St. Vincent stage persona versus Annie Clark, the sort of modest. But, I mean, I'm I'm putting it out there. It just, I like parts of this film. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like terrible to watch but i could never recommend this to anybody who wasn't a fan of saint vincent's music like if you if you want to see saint vincent playing around with carrie brownstein and and, you know incorporating some of the music goof off for 90 minutes have it on in the background party movie that kind of thing never would, would i put it beyond that it just it never came together in fact it had me looking at the the running time which is a bad sign as I was going, like almost twenty minutes into it, I'm like, okay, 
has this is this an hour yet? Oh no, it's only twenty minutes. Okay, so they're going to keep repeating this. It's going to keep going. The director Bill Benz, who I didn't know of much prior to now, I did some directing and editing for Portlandia and some other Adult Swim kind mm-hmm. of content. So you're expecting, and you receive from time to time a little bit of sketch comedy in this, little vignettes that they do. Yeah. I, I'm thinking notably one that I really enjoyed was anything where. Um, Annie Clark reveals that her relation she's in a relationship with Dakota Fanning. Dakota Johnson. Dakota Johnson. Dakota, Dakota Johnson. Fanning would be troubling. Two different yeah. people. Well, Dakota she's Johnson. She's old enough now. But <laughs> from, now yeah. Yeah. from the um, uh, Fifty Shades, Shades of Grey. Yeah. From being a Butter Falcon. Let's not get that, into it. Yeah. Yeah. She was great. She's done some great work. That sketch, I call it a sketch portion of the yeah. thing. When they are, when Annie Clark is trying to drum up something controversial and interesting for the film, yeah. she and Dakota Johnson bring Carrie Brownstein, the director yeah. of this fictional film, that into, was a funny, the, into funny the hotel yeah. bedroom where they're in like these very sexy, they're seductive lingerie, yeah. leather lingerie. I don't think it was leather, but they're in lingerie. Hey, sure. let, let my imagination <laughs> do what it do, Carlos. And um, she. F- makes Carrie, well, with her telephone, film them having sex. Right. It's all off screen. Well, while Carrie is... is uh, the, Mortified. The funny, well, yeah, but the funny bit is she's calling out for an intimacy coordinator. Right. Like, yeah. You know, normally it's the, the people in the scene, in the scene. Yeah. who, Carrie's who like, are concerned no, with She's like, this. I need an intimacy. Yeah, I need an intimacy. <laughs> so it's a, it's a little sketch, and that made me laugh. Yeah. And there were a lot her, of... Thi- and the, the, the through line, like where the Dakota Johnson bit ends is also very good. The, the interview, absolutely. Yeah. I agree. Th- those are two of the strongest moments in the film. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I, I agree with you, David. And not being as large a St. Vincent fan as you are, I, I don't know who to recommend this film to outside of St. Vincent fans. Because mm. I don't think there's enough broad, much of anything to appeal to just a general audience here. And concert films are great, especially if you like the artist. So th- th- I just feel that's probably a much smaller demographic than anything financially successful mm. for them. And it's not a situation I don't feel like you go with the Portlandia line and you watch it because you like that show and maybe you're going to see some Portlandia-ish comedy. The comedy here, I did laugh a couple of times, but it's not... There were I, moments I, where I could hear David cackling in my head. Oh, well, that happens which with every a, single Which movie. apparently yeah. didn't take place. That happened no, there for were me laughs. Wa- there were laughs. Yeah, that happened I'm not for saying- me when I saw Possessor. I, David's laughing at this. Clearly, yeah. it, it, no. It, there were laughs. There were moments. Uh, you, you know, Joe just named off a couple. I mean, I, I definitely could. I thought the family bit yeah. at the farm was funny. Like that that whole setup where Saint uh, Annie Clark goes out and hires people to portray her family. She's and doing it, a southern accent. Yes, that I thought was very silly, like some very scene funny. Straight out of Hee Haw. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, so so and they're clearly not in Texas. <laughs> no, like the landscape. Around yeah. that house is not Texas. Yeah, it you know so there were there were funny bits and and I think that there are now if anything I would say like I feel like they just needed to go either totally that kind of sketch route and yeah. make this into like the Kentucky Fried movie of fake concert oh. documentary sort of things where it's like God. give me juicy gags give me or mm-hmm. or even like a you know I don't know just. Like a Portlandia, you know, sketch after sketch after sketch and give me these characters in slightly different configurations, throw me. But it seemed to want to go for something headier at times, and I don't feel like they ever delivered on the headiness. 
I don't know. It needed to build some of the characters, and there's just no stable ground. The Carrie Brownstein, like I said, the version of Carrie Brownstein that exists in this film doesn't feel like a version of Carrie Brownstein that exists anywhere. There, like, well, yeah, because it's not her. I uh, yeah, right. But I, but I couldn't even pretend to believe it was her. Whereas Annie Clark, when she was being the Goody Two Shoes version of Annie Clark, I totally bought it. Like, I those were some early scenes where I'm like, oh, this is kind of funny to see how like. The basic friction here being, I want you to be a rock star, but no, I'm just kind of a nerdy person who writes good music and, you know, I go out on the road and perform it. I thought that was very funny. The Carrie Brown scene I just never bought as the sort of tortured artist who's never felt she's lived up to, you know, her family's desire to have her. Because that's kind of a subplot in this, right? That she's supposed... Yeah, that that she's supposed to... I don't think that's a subplot. I think that that's a part of like the core of her character in yeah, this film. Yeah, that's what I mean. And I just never bought that. Yeah. I never But really but it. the but the family thing is just a reinforcement of the like doubt she's already feeling about herself. Yeah. Which I mean if you imagine somebody coming off of this wildly successful sketch show in a medium that well, she I was ne- never necessarily like hell bent on participating. And yeah. she's a musician yeah. and then finds herself in this sketch show, which becomes immensely popular, critically acclaimed, beloved right. by fans. Right. Sketch show ends. Now what? Well, th- and I wish they had emphasized that more. But the movie's not a, as much about Carrie as it is about Annie. Well, but they it tries to make it that way and it spends time with it. And it gets it and that, time, those it, are times where it bogs down for me. It spends time with it, but it spends time with it to uh reinforce how Carrie's unassuredness and self-doubt plays in to why Annie transforms the way she does. Because the film's about Annie. Sure. Well, it's really about celebrity. But well, yeah, but th- yeah. through the vessel yeah, of yeah, Annie. Yeah. Uh, you guys are fucking idiots. This is you, you top five right. this year wow. for me. Like, okay. wow. is, I, I, David's take surprises me. <laughs> I, I mean, I really do think that the fandom of St. Vincent is a requirement to really love this film. And sure, like that is a bias that I can't really see past uh-huh. because I can't imagine a world in which I don't love saint vincent yeah uh so i'm not even going to attempt to go down that road and try to shake that bias so like sure if that's like a criticism you want to levy against my review of this film then by all means have at it but you are depriving yourself of a wonderful viewing experience if you think that like you can't like this movie if you're not an annie clark fan Kylie's not a not a Saint. She she doesn't. I mean, yeah, she's not a Saint Vincent fan. Yeah. Uh, she'll listen to it if I put it on, but I don't think Kylie's really ever been on her it. own, fun. gone and put a Saint Vincent record on. And she liked this movie. Well, that's uh, good. And I, you know, I I, I I I I do understand where you're coming from because this movie is more interesting in asking questions than it is in answering them, and it doesn't want to tie up any of the loose ends that it creates. And I think if that's a problem for you as a film goer, then, uh, you know, that's fine. 
this movie might not be for you. I mean, I, like I talked to, I think I talked to both of you guys about it a little bit and I don't think we really ever finished our conversation, but the night house is another recent film that I went and saw that leaves a lot of loose ends mm-hmm. untied, which many will interpret as plot holes. Yeah. But in that case, and I think as well as the case with this film, it's, in service of larger metaphors and symbolism Mm -hmm. to ask questions about something. And I don't think that, I don't think the subject matter that they're trying to tackle has real solid answers. And I think it would be to the folly of the filmmaker and the writers to try to answer those things. I I don't want answers. I don't want answers. I wouldn't levy that criticism against it. I just find the film to be wide and shallow rather than. There you go. I think what I wanted was more organic development of the, the, that conflict, like the core conflict is you start out with a film where the subject is too boring and the the filmmaker wants that to change. And then the filmmaker pushes, and that push sends it off supposedly in a direction that's so absurd that she doesn't want it to be that way anymore, and she realizes that her wish to have it be something other than what it was is like this wrong-headed idea in and of you know in itself and kind of destroys the project and i and i can appreciate that as i say it i'm like oh that sounds like a compelling topic but the problem is for me the annie clark character as much as i like her early on in the film once she turns into the saint vincent persona and starts taking a more active role and kind of you know, button pushing, bringing right. in Dakota or Johnson, multiple takes of a of a yeah. of a fa- of a trumped up. I never quite found her fully convincing as a provocateur in, in a weird way. Like even the Dakota Johnson, I found that scene funny, but nothing about it ever seemed like really button pushing. I mean, come on, we live thirty years past Madonna, Truth or Dare, and all these other things that like they're kind of echoing and they're they, like. But couldn't, see, I, couldn't you have done something like even more absurd like okay Dakota Johnson's there and then they like open the door and like a bear and some diapers comes in and like right. is starting wacky, to molest wacky, them wacky, or like yeah, or, or even yeah. threatening I mean like but, somebody pinhead what, shows up I but, don't know but what purpose does that serve in terms of the Developing, questions they're ratchet, trying to, really ratcheting it up yeah but I think what I think the I think what you're proposing is sacrificing uh, some of the like core themes and questions that they are posing or that, that they're looking at in favor of maybe a more entertaining, absurdist, comedic moment. And like the movie is a comedy. It yeah, has I, funny I want, moments. I want it to be a juicier comedy. I definitely do. Yeah, but that's not what this film is trying to do. I don't think the, the movie but is funny. Is, but you've just said it delivers no answers. So what are we? What are we doing? Like just sort of bogging ourselves down in this basic idea. What does it mean to be a person? What is my persona? I mean, Who look, am I? Like, I mean, a, a one one of the things that this movie explores is, I mean, to go back to my. Uh, our conversation with Annette is like the kind of inherent narcissism that goes with being an artist. I mean, literally Annie looks at Dakota and says, can we break up in a couple of months? I'm really right. going to need that so, for, for my album. next record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like, that was a great, that was a great moment. They're, and that's like, asking, that's like bringing up these like questions or like topics of like how far is too far and the self-serving nature of creating mm-hmm, a thing. Like at, mm-hmm. at, at what point do you have to draw a line between like, okay, I have to be in a certain place to, be like what I feel is my best creatively and where's the line between what I put other people through in service of my art Mm -hmm. and 
where I can still take other people's feelings into consideration and still be able to be at my creative best. And even do you need to be in a place of anguish to be at your creative best? Like that's a, because that is those are those are that, all great, and you're taking it further than the film did. Yeah, right no, now. But see, right but see, now. no, but see, that's the thing is they I gave as us I a disagree. couple of morsels. They didn't give us a nice juicy steak but, to chew but on for anything. They gave that us you're a great. They gave us a great line, great interaction, a, a nice no. Hold on, stop. Because <laughs> what y'all are saying is cr- crazy, and it's asinine. The fact. That uh, the fact that me watch the, the fact that the, no, no, the, no 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 because our, our no. listeners will know when they test the the theories no, here look, they're gonna know <laughs> no I'm I'm not I'm at this point I'm not even talking about the film at this point I'm talking about your argument which is inherently flawed because you're saying that this film doesn't push those buttons but this film is what made me say what I just said to you so clearly it pushed that button. Because I went there with it, it and I didn't and I get bogged could, down I in think, this idea that it. Hold on, I didn't get. It, I didn't get bogged down in this idea that it needed to be more funny. It needed to be more over okay. the top, and it needed to be more of a provocateur. Because I don't think what she was trying to be is a provocateur. What her like evolution into the Saint Vincent persona is about is about reality versus expectation of the way that your audience perceives you as an artist. It's about the difference between your performance and your actual life. Like right. how similar does your audience want that to be right. versus how similar is it in reality? How similar is it for you, that you're comfortable with it being? Mm-hmm. And the, I mean, that's ultimately what's exploring. And I mean, and there's, and there's other poignant moments as well. I mean, like, you know, one thing, one in- moment that I thought was very interesting was, uh, you know, because there's also this element of like the director of a documentary about a real person being a manipulator in some way and like intentionally manipulating its subject to get something that fits the filmmaker's agenda yeah. or that fits like what they think is entertaining for an audience rather than actually just capturing the thing as it is. And right. so, I mean, and even there you've got a crit- uh not criticism, but maybe, but an inquiry of the nature of documentary and like yeah. what it means to make a documentary. But where Carrie is trying to bring her back to Annie by bringing this fan in, thinking that it's a good idea, you know, for this fan to light up in front of her. But then the fan, like, says all this, like, super fucking dark shit to to Annie about her friend dying and all this stuff. And how it helped her and saved her life. And then Annie breaks down and starts crying. And, And so on the one hand, it's like, okay, this blew up in Carrie's face because she was trying to humanize what has now become the St. Vincent persona. Uh-huh. And while it did to a certain degree humanize her, it did it in the opposite direction that Carrie was hoping that it went. Because like, you know, if you are in it, like an artist celebrity like that and you make art that affects people, yes, it's nice to hear people say how important your work is to them. But at mm-hmm. a certain point, I mean, when somebody's like putting that on you yeah. as a person that like, you didn't necessarily ask for that. Like you didn't make this record for somebody to be able to deal with the loss of a loved one. And for that person to be saying those things to you so cavalierly as if you're supposed to be like, Oh yeah, that's great. Thank Mm -hmm. you. No, like, I mean, I could imagine that having a somewhat negative emotional impact on someone. And, and ultimately at the end of the day, to go back to what I said about the Annette conversation, I have not forgotten that we're giving that record away. I just haven't picked the winner yet. (laughs) Gotta so do it. first, first things first. What I, uh, uh, another thing I forgot to say at the top of the episode is I'm so ashamed of myself for mispronouncing Karen Gillan's name wrong and Lena Headey's name wrong the entire <laughs> last episode. So I had to get that out of the way. Um, and I think that this film is 
probing much more than you're giving it credit for. And I just, I think that there were, I, it, see I think the there buttons, were issues I with see it that you had about. that uh-huh. prevented you from going there with it. Maybe, I don't know. My, my point, I'll go back to what I said in the beginning. I wanted it to pick a direction, either be the juicy comedy that gives me funny scenes around those topics or be the deep thought provoking character build like dramatic rendering of it that gets me invested in those kind of ideas that you're talking about. And I see like I'm not telling I'm not saying that those ideas aren't there and sometimes very obviously sometimes very much on the nose they're they're there in the dialogue. But I think what Joe said earlier is, is where I end up with like, it feels like a shallow look at them rather than one that really dives in. Like I would have liked to, if you want to talk about the depths that somebody goes into in order to understand what it is that sort of motivates them to do their work and what impact that has on those around them and how they view, like, I want to see that movie. This movie had a hint of that. It had like a, a you know, it, it sprinkled in there, but it never really became a driving force. The real driving force is like this kind of push-pull between her and Carrie as a director. Never got Carrie as a motivated director here. Never got Annie once she got into the button-pushing phase. But that's as, the point of Carrie is that she's not a motivated director. Y- Right. That's well, like the central thing about her character is that yeah. she's doing it because she feels she needs to do something that people like and get right. out of this creative slump. Right, so right, she's right. not like passionate about the project right. and that's right. what causes problems for the But project. I didn't but I didn't feel like authentically that she was pulled to please people. That's what you know what I mean like you're saying there's a different motivation than the one that would be obvious. I agree, but that didn't come through for me. I did it it didn't feel right. So I just I ended up feeling like it was more like, okay, I'm getting these little vignettes that kind of get stretched out a little longer than I think they need to be and never fully came together. I think there's some great ideas there. I would love to have seen it turn into something a little bit more. I mean, by all means. This hurts me more than it probably hurts anybody else to have to render this kind of verdict on on this film. Because like I said, I enjoy the concert footage entirely. I, there were moments in it. I was laughing and I was getting it. But I just... It oh, I like the striking visuals. A lot of striking visuals yeah. that, are, that are maybe even worth renting it for to see. Annie's fucking serving looks in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. Like her costume designer had her shit on point. Yeah. Well, it was, a great, it was a great tour for them to pick to be doing something like this around. I mean, yeah. it's a very stark... Oh, but not even just that. Like afterwards, whenever uh, you know, she goes like full St. Vincent, she's got the pointy glasses mm-hmm. she's wearing all that green shit for the last like part yeah. of the movie um it's the like old-timey um almost like crooner kind of vibes from the the nowhere in video shoot where uh-huh. she's in like the green dress and has like the old-timey microphone and stuff also that scene is amazing yeah whenever she's going through the endless sea of curtains and the yeah. back of the head keeps revolving yeah. around and stuff. yeah that That's was so cool i like that the music in this movie is so fucking good the music is that good. song nowhere in is great there's uh, several other song. like full songs with vocal performances that she did for yeah. this film that are also fucking great and then all like the incidental like score music that she did for this movie it's fucking great like yeah that's another thing i love about this movie is that because it has such an amazing soundtrack that's both score and pop music Mm -hmm. that it's a like a a film that can continue to live with you after you're done watching it because that album is well that i genuinely i I have a feeling this music will be with me a lot longer than this film and that's good i mean like i'm this album will be forever most likely it's a lot easier i'm not going to say it's more fun but it's a lot easier 
to be part of the two in a two-on-one kind of opinion. It can be, In this room. Yeah. Because, David, when you... um, I could tell where you were headed at the beginning of your talk. It made it easier for me because I was <laughs> anticipating being the one, the person, one on the, the know, one outside. The two of yeah, you, yeah, St. Yeah. Vincent freaks. Uh, I'm glad that Carlos really liked it because of honestly, course. I'd like to think that there is an audience out there for it. And and by all means, I hope this becomes a cult favorite and 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 everybody is is excited about it. And I'll feel like uh, just as happy that the world went that way. Certainly, I, I have no interest in this film failing. Yeah, I think you guys are out of your fucking mind. <laughs> well, okay, okay. So we're out of our minds, perhaps. What we are for sure Let's doing achieve some harmony is now, drinking guys. some beer. And yeah, can we achieve harmony with this harmony, blissfully hoppy, hazy pale ale from St. Arnold? My glass is empty. Mine too. I was enjoying it. Very Th- this crisp, is Very clean. I'm glad they're calling it a pale ale. Yeah. Because I think even with the ABV, like there's not enough of a body there. You're right. And the hop profile overall is not quite at the level that I'd want it. But for a pale ale, this is really pretty tasty. There's a lot of balance to the hops and malt Uh in in it, in my opinion. I mean, I could drink two or three of these easily uh, Uh at a party or get together. Um, I'm really glad you brought this. I like trying anything new from St. Arnold and that it's here. What? (laughs) No, Whichever one of us you're looking at, the either can never get your attention. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm just trying to give Joe a little extra beer, I'm good. that's all. Uh, yeah. I lost my train of thought. Carlos, what would you sorry. think? Harmony. This beer will forever be tied to y'all's ridiculous opinion about this movie, <laughs> so I'll probably never oh, drink it Oh, don't let it taint that. Come on. Oh, it's tainted. Oh, jeez. Oh, man. No, I was, think of it as your your victorious battle against us for the, for the I forces don't think of that I, I don't think that I won, though. Oh. I don't think I converted either of you. And also, oh, I was I was I I was riding high on this movie. I watched well, it, I watched I watched it last night and I was talking to Kai about it. I was like, that was so fucking good. And then I literally have I listened to nothing but St. Vincent all oh, fucking day. I listened day. to St. Vincent for about three or four days leading all up to now. Day yeah. listen to her. I wish I, I had listened, that experience. I listened to the self-titled. I listened to Mass Seduction. I listened to Daddy's Home. I listened to the Nowhere In soundtrack like three times today. Wow. I've been on and and it's you know what's interesting too is that on mass seduction she's dealing with these questions of like um what people expect of you and mm. like uh, the idea around you know the art versus the artist and translating the different personas in different places you know like yeah. uh, it's all there and in you know a handful of the songs, it's not what the whole album is right. about. But uh, well, and I and I like the nods to the daddy's home concept too. I mean, it, in terms of a project, oh, this was supposed to come out prior and I'm so, to, and I'm so glad it didn't. Because you, th- you think really, I thought there were some nice little Easter eggs in there that would have helped prime for that. I I just like the first time being introduced to this idea that like her dad was in prison yeah. and stuff like that being the real thing. And hearing her like real thoughts okay. and working through her real Not emotions, this fictionalized version of it around it. Uh-huh. Because if I had, if this had come out when it was supposed to come out, I don't know that I would have been able to determine whether that was real or not. Uh-huh. You know, and I would have been left like I honestly, I probably would have thought that that was some that was one Contrived of the fictitious things the, about yeah. the film. And so then, if I had thought that. When Daddy's Home comes out, mm-hmm. and I'm now been told that it's a real thing, yeah, 
I might have, I don't know if I would have had a hang up, but it would have been maybe tough for me to shift my belief around that yeah. particular bit of business. Uh, but knowing that it was real and seeing the nowhere in, it played more to me of like a, like a nudge. Mm. It played more to me like an Easter egg, seeing it in experiencing those two works in the order that I did versus the other way around. Okay. If that makes fair sense. Enough. You yeah, know? that's fair. Cause, cause if you watch this movie and you're not a St. Vincent fan and you haven't heard daddy's home, you might not be Car- no. to that information. Carlos takes some refuge in this. There are people that listen to our podcast and their favorite person is you. And because you are so high on this movie, they're going to go see it <laughs> knowing that David and I are just completely wrong. Well, and, and even I don't think that that's true. I, I feel like, yeah, well, whether not, or not, I, no one likes me, so it, <laughs> we can't say that everyone well, okay. likes David. Now the truth. I don't. I don't. I don't think. I don't think that's true. I do know. I do know some people that agree with your takes. Uh, oh, absolutely. We. I mean, tend to and, agree with you more than the rest. And of I was going to say, and honestly, I think it's it slides around. And no, David, you're the favorite. <laughs> I mean, we don't know. <laughs> I just like everything. Uh, that's what I'm saying. saying. You're yeah, the yeah. nice guy that likes everything. I'm not prepared to admit that out loud. Yeah. But the bottom line is, I, if I were listening to this, I would come away saying, I got to see this movie for myself because I know Carlos isn't going to like something for no reason. Carlos has high standards. D- Dave, on the other hand, will let anything pass by. Why the hell is he we not with this one? I got to see it. We had to handcuff him inside his home to avoid doing Jungle Cruise. What, yeah. what are you talking about? <laughs> that's true. All right. So, did you have anything to say about the beer, Carlos? I, I enjoyed it very much. No, it is a, it is good. Other it's than good. the taint, it's Other, good. Yeah. <laughs> ignore taint. the taint. Name of that. <laughs> ignore the taint. Name of the episode. Uh, yeah, I I I did uh, I did like it. I mean, I think that you know, I don't know that it's as hazy as I would want it to be. Um, but come on, if you pick no, this it's up, good. it's good. Yeah, it's good. And I would, I would and I would pick it up again as a shelfie sixer I, I, for for did, something that's for what nine ninety nine something like that. Probably eight ninety nine. Yeah, I, I would, de- yeah. I, I would definitely buy that again. Yeah, it's good. It's high enough in ABV uh, to get you a little nice and toasty after oh, yeah, maybe one absolutely. or two. You know, depending just a little buzz. It's not a slouch. It's not a slouch. Um, and yeah, it's got the it's even though it might not be the fucking big bold bad flavors that you expect it's, from a it's hazy. It's no vanilla mango. No, it's <laughs> not smoothie seltzer. No, it's not yeah. a smoothie. But uh, yeah, it's good. Also, I just looked up the Rotten Tomatoes seventy percent on yeah, nowhere. Yeah, so uh, not quite. It's a little split. Not quite as split as we yeah. Are. No, I think. Uh, there. Oh man, I'm gonna get so much shit from you guys from this. Uh, <laughs> Amy not, Nicholson, what I'm did not, she say? I'm not going to review the reviewer, but oh man, there was one that I saw the other oh, day that okay. was so funny. It was like literally one sentence about how shitty it was. Oh, uh, a one sentence. See, I couldn't give you just a one sentence. I, I mean, yeah, that wasn't I, the whole review, but that was like the shitty. blurb that okay, they chose. Okay. Uh, kind of pointless. Kit Mooney, central track. <laughs> yeah, we, which was a big uh, criticism kind of, of Annette. People had that same criticism, sure, too, I guess. when I read some reviews. I mean, yeah. If I, thought, really, I, I just thought that was funny. Yeah, kind of pointless. Funny. So, so Period. a mockumentary, a concert footage, the, the treatment of a, a, of making a, of of a rock band in mm-hmm. on the big screen. What could we possibly have paired this week with the Nowhere Inn? One I'm very excited to talk about. We went deep. We We went deep, We dug deep when we return.
we're back. We are back. Um, so, straight away up top, um, last week, as you know, if you listen to the episode last week where we did Kate and Gunpowder Milkshake, um, that we have this poll coming up where you can, on our Patreon, patreon.com slash podcast, you can vote on which of two episodes we have two different film pairings for two different potential episodes and you can vote on which one we do being a patreon member is five dollars a month you get a bonus episode every single week and you get to play with us yeah and uh, yeah you, you get to do stuff like this um so there is that and there was one other thing that i was gonna say before that oh yeah the reason that this didn't get posted sooner i wanted to post it last week but if you listen last episode you know that there was this storm that was going to come and then it didn't come and i lost <laughs> i lost a whole day at work and yeah. i was trying to put to you know i was trying to get ready for a big fresh friday drop at the shop uh, at my record store or whatever uh and believe it or not cleaning and pricing records takes a really fucking long time <laughs> i believe and it. It, i was down to the wire last week in terms that. of getting all that stuff done now Joe's looking around the room because he knows what's coming and he is thinking that I have talked way too long about things that are not beer. And so <laughs> we have well, a I was beer. just going to say that all Horror October are programming. Oh, it's the imminent. four weeks uh, coming up in just a few weeks, four weeks in a row of horror. It is really coming together nicely and I can't wait yeah. to see what the Patreon poll yields. Where as, we'll end up. Yeah, one of the missing ingredients. Yeah, and yeah, so the episode you're listening to now, next week, then it's all horror October. Fantastic. That's how close we are I to that. Wow. Um, uh, it's officially spooky season in the shop, too. The whole featured wall is all horror soundtracks. We've got Possessor up there, Invisible Man, nice. Creep Show, Day of the Dead. What else? Um, fucking uh, We Are Still Here, which is a movie that I don't think either of you have seen. It was like an indie horror. No, I haven't like, seen it. Throw eighties homage, throwback oh, kind cool. of like like House of the Devil kind of very similar. Mm. Yes, um, gotta very, see that. Very good. Anyway. On to the beer-related things. Bear me. Uh, so what we have here is from Saloon Door Brewing, which is a brewery that we are very familiar with, that we have um, had before on the show and on the Patreon. Uh, I would say that they're best known for either their AF series, mm-hmm. which we had recently yeah. uh, when we talked about Habit from Janelle Shirtcliffe, Hometown Hero, and uh, the Doc Hoppaday. Their Hazy is really good as well. Um but this one that we have here is called Lava. Now, this is a uh, text. Uh, so this is a, I thought it was a Bach, but it's not. It's a hot rock, not a hot Bach. This is a Texas American Amber Red Lager. It is 11% ABV. Oh. A hot rock beer boiled on red hot stones for an extra rich and complex malt caramel and smoke flavors all caps big bold and old school that's what it says <laughs> it's the equivalent of taking your pastry torch and uh, crusting up and caramelizing the top of okay, creme, creme brulee, brulee. Uh, yeah or so they say right. it reeks of gimmicky bullshit before i take a taste 
<laughs> and this whole trend. It's, people are doing this now, yeah, putting yeah, hot rocks yeah. to try to denote caramelized or caramel flavors. I mean, flavors it does on the, the nose. Sugars. It has a caramel kind of uh, note there. I, I, but what is the style of the beer outside of the amber? Said amber, right? It's like yeah. an amber lager situation. I had their Caddy so, Corner Cream Ale last night at a local place. No, oh, interesting. Uh, have you had that yet, anybody? No, I have not. No. If you like Cream Ale, I'd say give it a I shot. I do like All right. They do a good job. I tried to order... Um, an Isla Street beer today when I ate lunch at Surf Club, but I didn't want the big Rojo and the other one was a cucumber or something and I fucking hate cucumber. Mm. So I got the Doc Hoppaday and I enjoyed myself greatly. Well, Doc Hoppaday is a good and option. So here we are, Saloon Door Part 2 Saloon for today. Um, we're going to talk about a movie now, I guess, that we, we poured are. a beer. One, you know, like both of the films this week have these connections to Texas, right? Annie Clark's from Texas. She was... Uh, um, some of the film purports to be set in Texas, even though it's not. Uh, but this film that we're doing in the second half, we were like, well, what's another film that another great entertainer, musician did that sort of took their own persona in this other direction? Um, you know, we, we could have gone a few different places, but one that we went to kind of quickly because of the direct connection with Annie Clark was uh, a film that David Byrne made back in the 1980s. Uh, you know, David Byrne from The Talking Heads, we've covered on this program already, The American Utopia. Yeah, it appeared in my top five that year, and I That's know it was right. close to y'all's top five. Even B- you know, Big favorite. It was favorite. in my 10, for sure. Yeah, that, big that, favorite That, that record, uh, Carlos, you'll be glad to know. David, too, uh, is in heavy rotation at my house ever since Still I've been Still gets played. That's great to hear. It. Still need Love to get it. a copy. Ooh. Uh, my Talking Heads collection is almost complete, though. That's awesome. So we the, talked about that the other day. Yeah. So, so you have uh, David Byrne, who collaborated later in his career with Annie Clark, but you know here much earlier, um, still with the Talking Heads, though not for much longer, um, doing a feature film where he was kind of given creative license. This was on the heels of Stop Making Sense, the concert film that uh, actually Jonathan Demme directed. Who we've uh, also talked about on the show for something right. very different than Stop yeah. Making Sense. <laughs> um, and, the, you know, that film had done so well that Warner was willing to kind of back this project, you know, do, do what you will. And Byrne kind of brings together some strange bits of Americana all set mm-hmm. here in Texas. It's kind of framed as a sort of a documentary. I mean, I guess that's another thing that this film has in common with uh, Nowhere In. It's kind of a mockumentary, but not mm. really, the, you know. Yeah, because it's about a town celebrating an like a... Have we, 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 we said the title of the film? True, true Stories. stories true we Stories. We have David Byrne playing this narrator character who seems to be visiting the town at the yeah. time of the sesquicentennial for Texas. Say it. Sesquicentennial. Okay. The one sesquicentennial. Yes. Sorry. Sesquicentennial. Uh, so that's 150 years. Go yeah. back to Maine, bro. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're, we're way past the sesquicentennial. That's true. Yeah, way incredibly dressed the entire film, David Byrne. Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking about being him for Halloween. For oh yeah. <laughs> I, I was considering it, but I, th- I think John Goodman would be better in his pastel suit. Uh, right. Right. But, yeah, no, there, there's the some great costuming all around. I mean, the fashion show in this film is fantastic, right? Yeah. I mean, oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, it's this kind of 1980s slice of small-town Americana, the trick being that Byrne 
includes as many strange characters as he possibly can that he pulled literally from the headlines of various tabloid uh, right. newspapers who would, you know, report on the woman who hasn't left her bedroom in, yeah. you know, 50 years. The, or, you the know. Weekly World News variety yeah, of yeah. Uh, Wolf Boy. Right. So, yeah. quote unquote, true stories, the idea of like packing them into this small town in, yeah. uh, you know, rural Texas or whatever. It's a and rural town, but they've got... Sort of rural, a, but they have this semiconductor tech, yeah, plant right, right, that yeah. is now changed the landscape of the entire town, making it probably a smaller city uh, right. with the, uh, well, if it wasn't for, uh, tell me the name of the company again, uh, Valtech uh, or something like that. Veracorp. 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 If it wasn't yeah. for Veracorp, we probably wouldn't even have a mall. And a lot of the movie takes place in the, the mall, which of course right. really puts the 80s fingerprint right on it. And oh, I forgot yeah. to say that the, that the celebration that this town is having for the sesquicentennial is the celebration uh, of specialness. specialness. <laughs> I mean, specialness or specialness, depending yeah. on who yeah. says the yeah. word. I mean, that. yeah, this thing has David Burns like particular brand of quirkiness fucking all over it. I mean, it's yeah. just dripping in quirk. Well, and, it's dripping in him. I mean, yeah. he, he is he's there almost constantly throughout the film introducing and he's a narrator, but he's also a participant. He's he's in these scenes with people and you know, he's good friends with the people he's commenting on or right. he's invited you know, to dinner with, to, with the couple right. encouraging what an amazing Lewis scene to, that was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so uh, it it is loosely narrative. Mm-hmm. We're leading up to this uh Day of Happiness. What was it called? <laughs> specialness. Celebration Special. of specialness. Specialness uh, that Virgil, Texas, is going to put on with a parade and a talent show and etc. Also, Fake Town. Yeah, I looked it up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Also, the name of a podcaster who has been accused of doing some grooming recently. Very unfortunate. When you Google Virgil, Texas, that's what you find. Oh, is all these articles about. That is so, very troubling. But oh. there are I two, just wanted to know if it was a real town. There yeah. are two or three narrative through lines here. And mm-hmm. the main one is John Goodman, who works at Veracorp uh, in the clean room, is a aspiring singer-songwriter. Right. And more is than he? that is he's looking for love. Hey, come on, people like us. He's he, looking no, for... look, don't get me wrong, <laughs> but I feel like that doesn't come up until like the end of it the does. movie. It, yeah, no, that's introduced a little late, but yeah. yeah. But yeah, he's looking for love. He's looking for love. He's looking for marriage. Yeah. And, um, for matrimony. For matrimony. And, uh, <laughs> that's the main throughput with the climax uh, being him performing the song that we've seen him kind of rehearse a couple of times throughout the film. Mm-hmm. And I thought John Goodman just did an excellent job. This oh, yeah. would have been he one is, or two years prior to Raising Arizona. But it was just He's really, fucking really electric great. in this movie. Yeah. And this is like before he before anything really. I mean, at yeah. this point he's been in like I think fucking he'd already Chud. been the coach in Revenge of the Nerds at yeah. this point. Yeah, that and like Chud. Uh-huh. And some <laughs> other like B movie shit, you know, like he he he, he hasn't been he hasn't had like a big role yet you know right. at this point he's he's not john goodman yet is what i'm saying no um, no he's well he's he had, roseanne is really i mean raising arizona was a fairly prominent role for him but even that i don't think people knew the name john goodman sure. until he was dan connor on yeah and then roseanne. and then he's in big lebowski and he's in you sure know, all, yeah, yeah, all yeah. this combra all but, this Coen brother stuff uh, john goodman is a national treasure sure. i'm, I'm oh, saying hell yeah yeah, I fucking oh, love absolutely. Him. But I bring up the narrative through lines to just demonstrate that there are some, but that's really not what this movie is about at all. Yeah, it who cares? Is David Burns' attempt to recreate to the degree that he does 
almost like a David Lynchian universe. Uh, and I, I, he does not go that far. Don't think no. that you're going to see Twin Peaks here. I mean, this is PG. The imagination. This is PG. But, but I, I did read, and Carlos, you'll appreciate this. I read Ebert's original review. And oh, the God. first paragraph is, I have been told that there are 50 sets of twins yeah. that appear in this movie. Uh-huh. And while some... <laughs> yeah. And while some sets of the twins are acknowledged for being twins, yeah, forty-eight of the fifty most of them are, are dispersed not. throughout the film. And so the no, point yeah. of the film is David Byrne putting these—not not the point of the film, but one of the—is that he can exercise these touches for himself, and the audience can learn by reading a review that yeah. some of those touches are in there. He's yeah. having a good time, but there, it's weird. It 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 is absurd yeah it's musical you see some talking heads music uh steve Jordan. performed by other people yeah but the, the the music is in there and it's got an 80s snapshot that i just really appreciate from a historical point of view yeah 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 it's a joy to watch this movie yeah i i thought so loved it i had so much fun with it. I mean, and you know, there's the scene where Steve Jordan's playing in a club, which is great to see. I mean, you know, Tejano fucking Texas legend, uh, who unfortunately never really had his, uh, time in the spotlight, but, and then later when he's playing, singing backup for that one song that Ramon sings, um, the costuming is so good. It's mm. very quirky. Like there's set these, design, the, the look of it. Design. I mean, it's very. John Goodman drives this tiny car, and he's like a very large man. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, he's like six three or something like that. He's in this little compact car, like little. Just there are these tiny little kind of quirky David yeah. Burr, Like like there's a scene where. He's driving down the highway and he's talking about like, you know, freeways are one of the reasons towns like this exist. And he's like talking about the names of different types of drivers. Yeah. But the final moment of that scene, you get a kind of like from behind over the shoulder kind of shot of him driving and the steering wheel is just. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, not just floating (laughs) around. He's like totally. No, it's like it's like moving in like. It's not, he, he's not just it's turning It's not even it. attached. It's not to even the, attached. No, no. Uh, yeah. And so, I, you know, I just, I think that uh, it would be a good idea to make a car where the steering wheel does not fly off while you are driving. Yeah. <laughs> but you also, you also see him. <laughs> That's probably what they were watching when. Uh, That's probably what they were watching. You also see you him driving. driving terrible car. And you <laughs> also have him driving with a locked down steering wheel, but with um, uh, rear projection. Yeah. I mean, the. Tries, well, they're mixing it in. Like yeah, there's footage of, of him actually out on a, on a freeway. There's footage of him in the, a studio that is being shot with rear projection. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, they're they're playing around with that for sure. Um, it's yeah, this movie is a joy to watch. I remember seeing this years and years ago on cable and being young and and not fully putting it all together, but getting some laughs out of it just for the kind of absurdity of it like the mall yeah. uh, fashion show i've already referenced is like, it's some pretty pretty amazing fashions that are on display yeah, there uh there's a scene where spalding gray playing the guy who's sort of the head of veracorp right isn't it yeah you um, the dinner scene yeah, yeah. It is is sort of 
I think explaining, it's a city leader that uh, facilitated Veracorp coming to town. Okay, explaining how like the you know the people of Veracorp are going to go on and like you know create their own businesses, and there's going to yep. be this like sort of blossoming. And he's using the different you know foods on the table to sort of map this thing up. That's very silly and kind of yeah. fun. And, they, they, and the, so, uh, yeah, and the lighting. So there are gets moments that kind of resonated for me. Even just as funny, silly bits. Yeah. But watching it now, you know, thirty years later, um, I I can appreciate more the kind of dark satire that's in there as well, and and how he's able to accomplish that without really going in. Like Joe, you made the the David Lynch connection, which I think is appropriate to an extent. But it's there's like that in Beetlejuice. Well, yeah, but there's just something even like. He's able to keep it all like he doesn't even have to go super dark. Like no, nobody, he doesn't. Nobody actually does. I mean, he does in a in a way, but but it, but it's because I mean the the. But we don't have like a character being like held against their will. No, we don't no, have no, anybody. No, no. You know, like there's no Frank Booth there's here. No there's no, no. But the like the things he's talking about, like the um. What's the word? The obsolescence of like the town center. Yeah. Uh, the idea that now, you know, congregating and socializing is secondary to shopping. Like shopping yeah. is the main activity. Right. Uh, that how the town is moving further and further and further away from the town. It's being like you know yeah. built out farther and farther. And I mean, he's talking about these like very kind of dark and bleak. Um, you know, byproducts of what has become late stage capitalism and like mm-hmm. the commodification of everything in American life and like the overwhelming, all consuming part of our lives that is consumerism. I mean, these are kind of themes that he's, I mean, because mm-hmm. what he's talking about in this is, you know, kind of the changing of American life. Right, yeah. you know, it's going yeah, a from change. Yeah. it's going yeah. from like what a series of changes had yeah. we had known previously, and I, you know, mm-hmm. I think he's at the prime age to have like been particularly affected by this. You know, yeah. like um, you know, being a fully grown man in the eighties. You know, kind of right. seeing going from economies booming, greatest generation type shit to this now, just like let's make everything the same. Yeah. Because it's cheaper, uh-huh. so that you can buy more shit yeah. that you don't need. Yeah, uh, and that's like pretty bleak when you think about. It. Especially, oh no, that, especially I mean, now seeing what, I mean, what it's but become. You need, but you he doesn't to take it that way. You no, know, you need to read it uh, in there. Like you, you can just. Yeah. But he poses those. He and it, puts those things But he forward. does, I think he strikes a nice balance. It's not all condemning. It's not all like there's there's clearly an actual if not reverence, at least like appreciation for some of the lives that he's you know, sort of capturing. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think that I Lewis think w- is supposed to be a despicable character no, or one that we... He's 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 portrayed pretty positively. Yeah. I mean, people Like Us is a song about people like him. Yeah. They just want to... Yeah, they just want someone to love. And he's, he, he's an earnest you know? character that you eventually end up rooting for. Yeah. Um... The punchline of him finally having finding his matrimony uh, falls a little flat for me, but I liked everything. So oh, I loved he it. Eventually, marries Susie Kurtz, who the uh, woman is who's in bed, the woman she who's always in bed. bed. She's him. clearly very wealthy. 
because she's got like robot service. Robot, <laughs> yeah, right. And uh, is ordering things off of whatever the version of QVC was yeah. at the time, yeah. constantly on television. But they they find love after I guess she sees his Lewis's John Goodman's character's um, television ad for a, like a dating line. Yeah. <laughs> well, it starts there, but isn't what turns like what makes her really want to go after him is his performance of people like us. What well, did, she, did was it televised? I believe I, so. I don't recall she watched that as well on TV. I just, I, I'm almost positive that right. it's while he's singing people like us. That she gets out of that bed. She gets out yeah, of bed, right? It is, yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah, it's towards the end of the yeah, performance. Yeah. That's yeah. what I thought. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So we so first she sees the ad. Yes. And then she sees him sing the song. And also, we just need to comment on it. Crushes that performance. <laughs> John Goodman fucking crushes that. Oh, he's good. It's he's so good. good. Yeah. yeah. It, it no, I I mean there, there's lots of little fun bits in the film. I mean, early on, you also get that, that set design is great too. The stage, yeah, you you get the fun scene in the, the mall Mar- nightclub that uh, you know the, everybody gets up on stage and sings parts of Wild Wild, Wild Wildlife. Life. I mean, lip syncs parts yeah. of it, including John Goodman. But there's some great, it's great sort of lip sync performances yeah. in there. It's just a fun, and that was extracted and made into a video for MTV. I remember seeing yeah. that many times apart from the film, which another um, similarity to nowhere in because the scene where Annie is filming the video for nowhere in, in the mm-hmm. film was mm-hmm. extracted and is, you can go watch that as a music it's video on YouTube. Oh, yeah, it's yeah, literally yeah. just well, the scene from the yeah. film copy and, you know, dropped mm-hmm. into a music video format. This movie's a joy to watch. It's, it's creating a joyous, I'll use that word twice in two sentences, a joyous look at, if you say it a third time, David Byrne will appear. Say it in the mirror. Let, yeah. Let's try it because uh, that guy's impressing me. Yeah. Um, what was I saying? Ah, it's, it's a joyous. Oh, no, oh, there he is. No, okay. David, please. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Byrne. We're, we're recording. We're we'll recording. talk to you later. You come in for after us. Come on. Um, it's very uncouth of you. But did I say it was joyous? Yes. Okay. It is. I mean, it, it's just fun to watch. Yeah. Like, so I, I woke up Sunday morning. I had, you know, I'd stayed in Saturday night. I worked on some music. I watched Mad Max Fury Road. Oh. Which I want to talk about in after hours yeah, a little it's bit. Worth watching again. Um, I, I hadn't rewatched it in quite some time. Uh, and then uh, Kylie and her sister Cassidy, who was in town for like a family wedding situation, come home. Mm-hmm. They're both very drunk, and <laughs> uh, you know we kind of settle things down. Everyone gets comfortable. We went to bed. I wake up the next morning, Sunday morning, not hungover because I didn't really drink much the night before way earlier than these two mm-hmm. who were who were a little bit hungover, Cassidy especially. And I was like, you know what? I've already been laying in bed for like 30 or 45 minutes. I'm going to get up. I'm going to make some coffee. I'm going to watch this movie, right? Put it on. Uh, Kylie gets up pretty shortly after me, maybe like 10 or so minutes after I did. So she comes in pretty, you know, maybe 15, 20 minutes into the film. Cassidy comes in at about 30, 40 minutes into the film. And then the three of us watched wherever we came into Mm -hmm. it all together at the end. And then everyone at the end of it was like, that was really good. (laughs) Like, you know, even then they didn't quite see it from start to finish. They're like, that was great. Like, that was a really fun movie. I really enjoyed that. Yeah. And so do you know what I did after it was over? 
put on some talking heads. American Utopia, instantly. All right, there you go. And then we all watched American Utopia. <laughs> you know, we you know we were that was a party so movie good. situation, kind of because right, their, you could have that going. And their mom came over with tacos, and so yeah. uh, you know we were talking and eating well, that sounds like stuff. an ideal viewing experience I, I i i really enjoyed getting back to this film aaron hadn't seen it this before. is my first time seeing it by the way Good. i'm glad we we got Should it in here it. yeah i i mean aaron hadn't seen it before she really enjoyed it um you know we, we've already mentioned steve jordan but pop staples shows up uh as a voodoo doctor uh, of sorts uh you know who lewis goes to sings a great version of the song papa legba from uh yeah. y- you know this film that is a plot point that i feel like didn't really amount to much well it's just to get pop staples in there i'm sure <laughs> yeah. but that, that hey i'm all for it well, yeah sure why not lewis will try anything to find yes love. right it's so, one yeah. of the many things the that many he's things willing he to do that's true but uh, no, I mean, just seeing him sing on screen, it's just, that, that, that's a fun moment. Uh, so, you know, I think there's lots in there if you go with it. Um, I don't know. I mean, like, I, I, I give this the highest recommendation that I have. I think that uh, yeah. anybody. You think this is good if you're helps. not a David Byrne fan? Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I think it helps. I think it helps. I think it very much helps. But you don't need to know who he is. You don't need to know who he is. No. I think I think if you can go with his sensibility, I mean that's that would be the thing that would give you the leg up. If you know Byrne and you know his eccentric kind of approach to lyrics yeah. and the way he's presented himself in concert over the years, I think you this is going to come very naturally. I could see somebody being put off by it if they don't appreciate that kind of... There's a quirk yeah. level to it that may not appeal to everyone. Yeah. And, and it is nice, David, to have a fine movie like this, to wash the terrible taste of failure <laughs> of um, Nowhere In out of our mouths. See, I watched them in the other direction, so I'm glad I loved Nowhere In. Uh, and, you know, another thing that... Ty- so when I was describing to Kylie the episode that we had programmed, she was like, wait, so what's the connection between the two movies? And I was like, <laughs> oh, it's this. And she was like, that's... Tenuous. Tenuous at best. But what I will say uh, is that, I mean, obviously, St. Vincent and David Byrne made an album together. What is it called Love This Giant or something something with Giant in the name? That sounds uh, right. I can't, yeah. I just ordered copies of it for, I, I, I had a copy of it at one point. I sold it, ordered it again for the shop, keeping one of them for sure. Um, and... So yeah, clearly they feel some kind of kinship with one another, uh, and clearly I think Annie would have grown up with some level of admiration for David Byrne, but I think one thing that ties these films together is that they are two artists that happen to n- exist in the like musical field of that, but which is why I wouldn't call them musicians. Because though that is the medium that they operate in, there I feel that they are both so clearly like true artists in this the, like the truest sense of that word, because everything they do is so intentional and thought out, and they have a clear vision for how they want to present their music, how they want to present their like. It's always a full cohesive yeah. like artistic vision that manifests itself in many in many different ways in this case from david byrne we get it in the form of a film 
the yeah. music is accompanying and the he's, film. And, and, and yeah. with Annie, we see that a lot too, like the different personas that she takes on, like, you know, and how that all changes from album to album. And I, I just, I just think that they both have, they're both so just creative, like truly uninhibitedly creative yeah. people. Can't argue with that. And Absolutely. That's why I, they're two of my favorite artists. The artists, artists who transcend medium. You yeah, know, they, they're they're not confined to any one thing. And yeah. honestly, to go back to the first film, and I think this, I think David will agree with me on this based on his takes slash criticism slash thoughts on the mm-hmm. film. I really hope that Annie Clark acts more. Yeah, she, I would she, agree. She's right. pretty good. And she's mm-hmm. very attractive to look at on screen. This is true. She's a very attractive woman. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I and and I think I by all means I hope that she writes more. I hope that she I hope she gets into whatever she because I feel like you're right that she is that kind of artist who comes up with these very um, elaborate visions and then is able to bring them into being in a very compelling way, which is, you know, part of why I guess I was disappointed where I feel like it didn't come together here. I agree with you though. Burn is the same kind of artist. And, and they both seem to not be capable of writing a bad song. No, that's true. I, I, they, they're both people that make it there. seem so fucking easy, you know, like, and, and always able to bring something in there that you wouldn't have expected. You yeah, know what I mean? Like it's the, so the, annoying it's, to a certain they're extent. They're not like, they're not the songwriters who write songs like you feel like, oh, these are songs that have always existed. Like there, there are some people who are like that kind of natural songwriter. They are songwriters who nobody else could have written that. Yeah. Oh, they are the only people who would write that specific song that yeah. way, whether it be like the turn of phrase they use, the little, you know, the tonal shift that comes. It's just I, I whatever... Was, I was thinking about that when listening back to St. Vincent's records mm. today, I think especially on mass seduction more than any of them, but just some of the, the sound choices. I mean like the choice mm-hmm. of, especially when you're making an album like that, that's very electronic, mm-hmm. the decision of sounds that you use, like using that kick drum yeah. on that song mm-hmm. with that snare and synth and like, you know, that kind of thing. And, um, I was just very struck by some of the choices that she made. Yeah. Um, and I think that, yeah, I think they're both pretty singular in their, uh, in their visions. And well, both, you've convinced me, both, I mean, both auteur level, you know, even if Kylie's not on board with this, I think we did a good job pairing these together. I think so too. Yeah. And I, I, I think when she listens to the episode, I just think we're, <laughs> we're overall incredible. I mean, yeah, yeah, well, I mean, yeah. great podcast. <laughs> Love it. We know, <laughs> we know how good we are, but do we have any idea how good this lava beer is now that we've been drinking it for the last... I, I feel like I'm slurring a little bit. My God, 11%. 11%. That 11. 11% will make you like Nowhere In. Yeah. The, the, <laughs> we should have started with right. this. Maybe I should have drank the lava while I was watching Nowhere In. I, yeah, I mean, this is actually pretty tasty. It is pretty interesting. Tasty, yeah. I, it's very malty. So, you know, I, I think, but if you're going with an amber, that's what you expect. Mm-hmm. And it's got the body, the heft. It's not very carbonated. Like I will say, like it, 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 there's a heaviness to it that I don't think I would want it to be. No, I don't think I would either. But I'm just telling you, like you know, it's a. I don't want to say exactly a flat beer, but it's one that really just kind of sits, and you got to take little sips and kind of yeah. let them work. 
And the I last agree. sip was much more enjoyable than the first sip. It mm. took me, it grew on me as, as we okay. went. But by the time I was down to the bottom of my first small pour, I was eager to make sure that you guys hadn't bogarted the yeah, rest of it. Yeah, this is a really good beer. I mean, the, the more uh, I think about it... I'm I'm not kidding around. I, I, I enjoyed this beer very, very much. And yeah. when I said gimmicky bullshit up top, I don't know what the chemical reaction did to change but the you flavor get that. of the There's, beer. But there, there is, is that caramelization is. that Definitely is. I'm picking up yeah. in there. It, th- yeah. it thickens the mouthfeel almost, but it that, seems might, that like might be it. psychological. Yeah. But either way, good job. Yeah, yeah I, I dig it. I You know, it's funny. So this beer, when it hit our market originally was one of those, um, you know, it's like a box, one of those fancy boxes that has oh, two yeah. cans yep. in it kind yep. of situation, um, which I thought when I saw the box that there was like a, a bomber in uh-huh. there. Okay. Um, oh, they were stacked? Two cans well, stacked. Well, a single yeah. 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 Um, and I, I don't know, it was like eleven ninety nine or something for like two. that for two cans. Yeah, and you're getting an 11% ABV, so yeah, the math but, checks out a little bit. No, it does, and I'm certainly not, griping about the price point or anything like that but it was just you know it was a beer that came in this box that had two can that at the time i thought was a bomber a little pretension i and it's a hot thing a hot rock thing i I actually thought it was a spicy beer i thought that's what the lava thing was about and i was like i don't know if i need this i don't know if i am buying into this whatever but when i went to you know kind of see what was available for today's episode. Uh, and I saw it and it was funnily enough and a loyal listener of the show, Daniel talks about this all the time, how at our HEB plus, uh, singles will often be priced cheaper than what they would cost. If you broke down the price of a four pack oh, or a two pack or something like that. So this is an eleven ninety nine box for two beers Four forty nine for just a single can, huh. so the two beers came out less without the box or whatever, you know, whatever. Oh, um, and so I, you know, I took the chance on it because of that, and I'm glad that I did because I think that the whole marketing ploy thing, like you said at the beginning, gimmicky, you know. I don't think I registered it as that, but it did kind of turn me off a little bit or it just made me think like, I don't really need to try this. You know, I don't need to whatever. Um, And I'm glad that I got over that. Just Mm -hmm. like I'm glad, I just like, I hope that someday I'll be glad that y'all got over your (laughs) hangups about nowhere in. (laughs) I recall having my very first saloon door at Executive Surf Club, a place that um, depending on the time of the month that might have a fantastic beer selection and might have a very pedestrian beer selection but they had the tasty af on tap and it was a wooden plane handle with like stickers from office depot uh (laughs) stuck to it yeah and and i asked the guy there what what style is it he told me and i said is it any good he goes yeah take a taste and gave me a little taste and uh, it was fantastic. I mean, that first pour, that first mm-hmm. glass I ever bought of the Tasty AF at, made me want to know more about Saloon Door. And then we have watched their distribution grow as they have grown. Mm-hmm. We have watched their marketing change and grow as they have grown. They don't have those homemade tap handles any longer. They're right. professionally mm-hmm. made. But... Um, that's one of the breweries that I'll try almost anything that they put out just to kind of see their evolution. 
Yeah. Uh, the way we do with Ingenious, Untitled Art, and others. There's some of those names of breweries that when we see them, we go, yeah, let's, let's do that because they mm-hmm. just so rarely fail. Uh, Saloon Door has had a couple failures, or in my opinion, I think some of us share that opinion. We've talked about it here, but this one, Lava, or a Hot Rock beer in general, hot rock. I think it's worth uh, trying if you have oh for yet. sure yeah. yeah and I and I think Saloon Door hits way more often than they don't completely agree they have yeah. a very nice batting hits outweigh the misses yeah. Uh, yeah for sure but yeah definitely glad that I picked this one up thank you yeah. yes thank you you know and I think too you know take the hot rock thing out of the equation amber is not a style that no. I see and get jazzed me about, neither you know I don't yeah, you're um, right I don't I don't know what it is anyway to our detriment, because this beer w- might have escaped us. If we it might, it might have. Uh, and, and I keep making. Be... I, I just got to say it. The Hot Rock that was a, a Slater Kinney album. So you know, it was. I guess. <laughs> is the Amber up Ties at eleven normally? No, no, no. God, this no. is an yeah, Imperial. Yeah, yeah. This no, is an Imperial. Yeah, it's an yeah. Imperial Amber. We are living an Imperial lifestyle. Taking one more sip and putting my nose in the glass. It smells so good. Mm. Anyway, all right. be careful. Good job, Salindor. Thank you. <laughs> um, it, you know, the, our favorite thing about this podcast is that the conversation does not end when the episode ends. No. It continues online across all of your favorite social media platforms. You can find us wherever you find things uh, on Twitter at Beer Movie Show, Instagram at Beer in a Movie, Facebook.com slash Beer in a Movie TX, Beer in a Movie Podcast.com not only has a link to listen to all the past episodes and all that kind of good stuff, but it also has this fantastic beer map that Joe has put together uh, that shows you all of the different beers that we've drank from all the different places. Yeah. We're, we're talking all 50 states, what, like 10 countries, About 11, 11 countries, countries yeah. at this point, uh, hundreds of beers that we've tried, and you can kind of see where all we've been and where our, uh, our, beer journey has taken us and it's 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 very exciting to look at uh also as we mentioned at the top of uh, this second segment we have this patreon poll thing going on uh where you can choose which episode we record for all horror october if you were listening to the podcast a year ago you know that all horror october went down in 2020 um and was a very exciting time Lots of great horror movies were watched and discussed. And this year, you can decide what we watch. Mm-hmm. All you got to do is go to patreon.com slash podcast. $5 a month gets you a bonus episode every single week and gives you voting privileges. Uh, and, you know, I think that we will be doing more of this kind of uh, stuff in the future because so far it has been, uh, has been a pretty fun process getting everybody's feedback um, and suggestions. Uh, so definitely hit that up. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, please rate, review, and subscribe. We know you're going to give us a five-star rating, but please leave a written review and tell us what you like, what you don't like, what you want to see more of in the future. If you leave that written review, I might just review your review on the podcast at some point. Uh, but seriously, that does help out a ton in the algorithm doing it what it do. Um, I have noticed that our uh, our listenership per episode is pretty steady. Yeah, it stays pretty steady, and what that tells me is that those people that are listening every week need to tell a few other people. Oh, yeah, that's the best uh, way to spread the word. So if, if you haven't told anybody in a while, be sure to tell your movie loving friends that there are these three bozos with really hot takes that put out an episode every <laughs> single week uh, <laughs> that watch very interesting films, and you should yeah. check it out. Um, 
And I think that wraps another tantalizing episode of Being In After Hours, I'd like for you to tell us what the choices are in this horror poll, and let's go around the room and say what we would vote for if we were voting. Yeah, and I'm going to talk about Mad Max Fury Road as well. Uh, and uh, maybe Furiosa, the prequel that's in production. Is it in production? Okay, we'll get there. We'll get there. And there will, I mean, of course, be some Emmy talk, because the Emmys were last night. Yes, they were. Uh, or three days ago, if you're listening <laughs> to this when it comes out. Until next time. I really enjoy forgetting. When I first come to a place, I notice all the little details. I notice the way the sky looks, the color of white paper, the way people walk, doorknobs, everything. Then I get used to the place, and I don't notice those things anymore. So only by forgetting can I see the place again as it really is. <laughs>